Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Highway Community Podcast. My name is David. It's so great to have you with us today. Uh, Today, we're finishing our series, Rooted. And for the last six weeks, we've held Paul's prayer for the Ephesian churches found in chapter three of his letter. Uh, We've held that prayer up in consideration, this prayer to be rooted and established in love, and to know that love that surpasses knowledge and how wide and long and high and deep it goes, and to be filled by it in this way that only God can fill us. We've held that prayer in consideration as we've looked at the way that God loves, not just with words, but to be rooted in love means that that love takes action. And then we brought that prayer back with us through the first two chapters of Ephesians. Those first two chapters were what inspired that prayer, and so we brought it back with us as we've looked at how being rooted in love helps us step into the identity that God has given us and out of trying to satisfy all the voices that are around us or inside of us that tell us who we need to be to be worthy of love and belonging and purpose. Being rooted in love helps us step into the reality that we're chosen that we're adopted into God's family, that we are redeemed, forgiven, and loved because it's what God wanted to do. We saw that in the first half of chapter one. And in the second half of chapter one, we talked about how being rooted in love leads us to hope, that it connects us with the reality that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within us. And so even when we feel stretched or we feel tired or we feel worried or like we can't make it, if God is leading us, if it is God that is directing us, we can say yes. And last week we looked at the first half of chapter two to see how being rooted in love roots us in God's story that we all share through faith in Jesus. The story of the grace that we can't earn or purchase, but that is given to us and that saves us. And that that story isn't over, that God is continually writing his story of grace on each chapter of our lives. We are an ongoing work shaped by God's work in our lives. And all of these themes, being rooted in love and how that leads us to action, how it roots us in our identity, how it gives us hope in the hard things, invites us into God's story. All these themes tie together in how Paul closes this chapter. I love it when stories end with all the threads tying together. You get to see the purpose the author had in writing, the intentionality that went into each detail. And Paul weaves these themes together at the end of chapter two by both naming a present reality and painting a vision for a new future. One made possible only by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he teased it first in chapter 1, verses 7 to 10, which say this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment. Here it is, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Uh, Look, the long arc of God's work in the world is to bring back together what has been broken, divided, and torn apart by sin. And that's the picture that Paul paints as he closes chapter 2. He names how that reality is present in the midst of these churches around Ephesus. 
and he casts a vision for a new future as God continues to work in and through these communities and in the world. And today we're talking about reconciliation, about when things are broken, and about the healing, the bringing together this reconciling of what we have divided, where our sin has created separation and built walls, and about how Jesus is breaking those walls down bringing what was separated back together, reconciling his creation that he loves back to himself and back to each other. We're talking about how being rooted in love leads us to reconciliation because the story God is writing is bigger than just us. It's bigger than just our own personal salvation, as beautiful and profound as it is. God is not just saving individuals, but reconciling a people to himself and to each other. And that reconciliation is to be a witness to the world of the power of the gospel and the work of the spirit to create something beautiful out of even the worst messes and the most hopeless situations. And what I want us to consider today is how these words Paul writes, how the work God is doing in and through these churches so long ago still paint such a beautiful picture of what a life and what a community rooted and established in love can create. What we'll see as Paul addresses these churches is that true reconciliation whether it's just between two people or entire nations or ethnicities or people groups, that true reconciliation, not just like a surface level peacekeeping, but true reconciliation is hard. It's why we need to be rooted and established in love. It's why we need to live from that God-given identity, why we need to hope in the work of the Spirit, why we need to connect to the bigger picture story, the bigger story that God has been writing and to see ourselves in it. As we dive into the conclusion of this series today and the call for us here, would you pray with me? God, we take a moment now just to open ourselves up. Uh, Wherever we are, wherever we're listening to this podcast, God, I pray that you would open our minds, that you would open our hearts uh, to the reality that you are bringing all things back together. Uh, Would you help us see our place in that story? Would you help us be agents of that reconciliation? God, we ask your kingdom to come. It's what we long for. Would you continue to heal and mend and bind back together what sin has so often torn apart? We love you. We give this time to you. We do this in and for your name. Amen. We're going to be working through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22 today. And as you turn or tap your way there, let me just remind us quickly about the context of this letter. Uh, We've talked at a few points in this series about how this letter was written to blended communities, communities where new followers of Jesus came from different parts of society, from different backgrounds and different ethnicities. And Paul spends so much time in these first two chapters establishing common ground laying out that through the cross, everyone has been adopted into the same family, that everyone belongs and has equal status, that the Holy Spirit dwells inside all believers, and it's by grace alone that we've been saved. There's nothing special about who we are or what we've done that's earned it. 
And it was important for him to do that because of the friction between the culturally Jewish and the non-Jewish or Gentile believers. Uh, we see this in a few of Paul letters, Paul's letters to these early churches, that there was a tendency for Jewish believers to feel some sense of religious superiority, uh, like they were better than the Gentile believers because they came from the Jewish tradition. Uh, you can't imagine uh, it's not fun to be looked down upon. Uh, double down on that uh, because there was a common belief that to become a Christian, you had to actually become fully Jewish first. Uh, and by that, I mean getting circumcised as an adult <laughs> after completing this really extensive training process. Uh, and if you didn't, uh, that you were somehow less than. See, it, it was important for Paul to spend so much time establishing common ground. And, and then he does basically the exact opposite starting in verse 11. Uh, read it with me. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, he's writing to the Gentiles here. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Uh, uh, Paul, uh, you're supposed to be bringing these people together. Uh, why bring this up? Put it in writing even, to be read aloud in rooms where both Jews and Gentiles are present together. It's, look, it's because true reconciliation starts when we name the reality that exists. In the coming verses, Paul is going to lay out what God is doing in bringing these two groups together. Uh, but for that to happen, he has to name the reality of where they're starting. That this dynamic is real, that it exists, that it has to get dealt with. And see, circumcision was an important part of the Jewish faith. It was core to their identity. It was a corporate act of obedience, a sign that they belonged in a covenant relationship with God. It symbolized cutting off the old life of sin. It's a great metaphor. But it had become a barrier. It had become, in fact, an empty symbol, a sign of exterior obedience done by human hands, by the way, Paul points out here. A sign of exterior obedience without the inner transformation it was supposed to represent. And, and look, how many times did the prophets rebuke the nation of Israel for having uncircumcised minds and hearts? This is what they're getting at. Gestures don't mean transformation. And what I love about this verse is that Paul doesn't just say, hey, praise God because of what Jesus has done. You're all fine now. No. He says, this is reality. You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. See, true reconciliation starts when we can name the reality of what's broken because we can't address what we can't acknowledge. A mentor of mine says God's address is reality, that God dwells and works in what's real. And so reconciliation can only start when we name what's real and what's broken. And that takes incredible courage. And we will take our fair share of shots for it. And oftentimes it takes a whole lot of humility because rarely are we totally in the right. And it's so much easier to just keep pretending 
or, or settle for a superficial niceness. Well, underneath the surface, these things that are broken that God wants to bring back together to reconcile go unaddressed. Is there a reality in your life, in our community, in our world? Is there a reality of brokenness that you haven't wanted to name? Maybe because of the sadness that it brings with it. Or maybe because of an associated sense of guilt or shame. Or maybe it's just gone on for so long that the idea of experiencing reconciliation in that area feels like it could just be a dream. Is there a reality that you know is there, but you haven't wanted to name? And what could it look like wherever you're listening to this? To just stop and say, God, I think this is real. To name reality. Because that's where God is. Waiting to walk with you. And Paul names reality. And look, if you've ever been in a situation where reconciliation is needed, I don't mean like a minor conflict, but a deep, ongoing, painful, unresolved issue, uh, when that reality gets named, like when you, when you can finally see it clearly for what it is, oh, what's the usual response? Uh, if I'm on the offending side, oh man, do I get defensive. <laughs> And try to deflect away from it. Like, if the reality is that I'm in the wrong, I would prefer a different reality. <laughs> Can you see how being rooted and established in love, in living from a place of knowing who God says we are, that in our brokenness God loved us and chose us and redeemed us and forgave us, can you see how being rooted and established in love and living from a place who God says we are helps us step into these moments? Like being rooted in love and who God says we are gives us the courage. It frees us from always having to be the one who is right. It keeps us humble which helps us be able to own and move forward when the reality is that we're at fault. Uh, Paul directs this passage at the Gentile believers, though, uh, the ones who would have been on the offended side. And listen to what he does in the next few verses. Uh, this is Ephesians 2, picking up in verse 12. Paul writes, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, Paul calls the Gentiles to remember, to remember who they were before Christ found them. To remember what it was like to be excluded. To remember what it was like to feel unworthy. And to remember how Christ met them there. And look, to not return the favor. Verse 14 continues. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Look, peace doesn't come through retribution or revenge. It doesn't come through an eloquently worded shredding email or the world's best social media post. It doesn't come from withholding grace and generosity in a punitive way. Peace is found in Christ. And as Paul shifts here to start to unpack at a broader level what God is doing through bringing these two groups together, that reality that was just named, the brokenness that existed between the Jewish and the Gentile believers, Paul highlights again with this phrase, dividing wall of hostility. In the Jewish temple, there was a physical wall separating what was called the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple courts in areas where religious ceremonies would take place. It was only into the outer perimeter, never into the heart of the temple, that the Gentiles were allowed. And the Jewish historian Josephus writes that on this wall, there was an inscription that said, No foreigner may enter within the barricade that surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. So much for a welcome and connections team. This was the cultural and religious hostility that existed here, symbolized by a literal wall and a warning that if you cross it, you die and it's your own fault. But isn't that what hostility, isn't that what resentment and bitterness does to us? It creates these walls these barriers because where reconciliation is needed there's usually hurt there as well and hurt people hurt people don't we it's so easy to make it worse thinking we're making things better or doing what we think we need to do for ourselves to do it our way But what Paul reminds these churches of here, where the live wires of this hostility were literally gathered there in the same rooms, is that God had bridged a divide that they never could. That through the cross, God made a way for the kind of reconciliation that so often seems impossible to happen. But what if the Gentile believers had tried to do it in their way? And see, that's the hard part to step into the kind of reconciliation that Christ offers means we have to recognize that reconciliation is in God's hands and not ours. And there has to be a moment of surrender and release of the debt that we feel like we are owed. It's so easy to hold on to. We've got to name the reality, name the need for reconciliation. We don't hide it. We don't run from it. We don't deny it. But then we have to surrender and release that reality to God's will, to God's way, and to God's timing. And that is so hard to do. 
because anger makes us feel strong. And holding on to emotional debt makes us feel in control and empowered. But if we hold on to it, if we do it our way, we can so easily rebuild the walls that Christ has already torn down. I say, what are we doing with the pieces of what's been broken? Whether it's a relationship or something in our culture, something inside of us or something in our world. What are we doing with the pieces of what's been broken? Are we rebuilding walls that Christ has already torn down? These verses also call back to what Paul had written earlier in chapter 1. The long arc of God's work in the world to bring back together what has been broken, divided, and torn apart by sin. These verses call back to that, and we see here how the cross made a way for that to happen. Again, in verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. The long arc of God's work in the world is to bring back together what has been broken, divided and torn apart by sin. And the cross has made a way for that. And when we find ourselves in the midst of that brokenness, whatever it may be, when we're left in the aftermath holding the pieces of what was, what will we do with those pieces? Will we rebuild the walls that Jesus has already torn down? Or will we lay those pieces into the new foundation of what God is doing in the world? And Paul closes chapter 2 with these words, starting in verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Like in these churches, something both new and ancient at the same time was happening. God was at work like God has always been at work. Taking broken pieces and building something new and beautiful as he puts them back together. By entering into the reconciliation that Christ offered them, the Jews and the Gentiles that made up these small communities were adding their stones to the foundation set by the prophets and the apostles and being built together into a new kind of temple, one without any dividing walls of hostility, to become a new dwelling place for God's spirit. 
is a beautiful picture of what can happen when we're rooted and established in love. We can't make this happen, but we can name what's real, where there's brokenness that's in need of reconciling. We can surrender and release those things to God's will and timing and not take control of them ourselves. And we can build on this same foundation instead of rebuilding the walls that Christ has already torn down. And look, this is hard work. It takes a lot of courage. And it takes a lot of humility and usually way more time than we want it to. Like we can't microwave it or make it go faster. Reconciliation isn't avoidance. And it's also not revenge. It's not an overbearing, superficial keeping of the peace while ignoring the real problems. It's being present to what's real in the way that God calls us to. Rooted and established in love. A love that acts. Rooted in our identity. Rooted in hope and the power of God's Spirit to work in and through and around us and rooted in the story that God continues to write in and through our lives. And man, when it works, what a beautiful picture of how wide and long and high and deep Christ's love is. The God kind of reconciliation is big, and it's beautiful, and it's gut-wrenching, and it's messy at times even. But it's the power of the gospel on display. And it's why Paul prays this prayer. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.